0: Good evening to you all, and uh, it's a great, great honor this evening to have with us um, uh, Madam President, Taya Halonen, to give a special, I should say very special, Ralph Miliband Lecture on the question, can the welfare state work in a globalizing world? Over the past several years, the Miliband Lecture Series has explored such themes as Can Globalization Be Tamed? American Power in the 21st Century? Global Governance and Public Accountability, and the Nature and Impact of Global Inequality. There have been over 40 lectures on these topics. This evening's lecture is squarely within this range of themes and asks one of the most pressing political questions of our time, is the welfare state sustainable in the context of economic globalization? Not only are we honoured to have you here this evening, but you'll be speaking to a theme very close to our core Concerns. The Ralph Miliband Lecture Series was created to honor the critical inquiry, the spirit of critical inquiry, advanced in Ralph Miliband's published work and teaching. Among the questions he asked was whether global capitalism is compatible with democracy, social solidarity, and social justice. Again, Madam President, your lecture tonight could not be more relevant. President Lonan is the 11th President of the Republic of Finland and Finland's first female head of state. She exceeded her office on the 1st of March 2000 and was re elected in 2006. Born in Helsinki, nicely enough, on Christmas Eve in 1943, she graduated from the University of Helsinki in 1968 and subsequently took a Master's of Law. Her professional career started in the National Union of Finnish Students where she became the Social Affairs Secretary, and she started her legal career as a lawyer in the Central Organization of Finnish Trade Unions in 1970, and has held this position, I gather, since then. President Lunen joined the Social Democratic Party in 1971. Her political career began in 1974, when she was appointed Parliamentary Secretary to the Prime Minister. She was herself elected to Parliament for the first time in 1979 and after that re-elected four times until she assumed the office of President of Finland. The President has also played an active role on the Council of Europe and also during her presidency has served as co-chair of the World Commission on the Social Dimension of Globalisation, a particularly influential commission appointed by the ILO, the International Labour Organisation. She has played close attention throughout her working life to human rights, democracy and civil society. And issues such as social justice and the promotion of equality have also been themes throughout her political life. One of my colleagues who gathered that I was going to meet the president this evening said to me, well, if you want to say something about her, you could say, she's simply the nicest president you will ever meet.
1: LAUGHTER
0: the President will speak for about 30 minutes and then I will take questions for another 30 minutes or so. So it remains for me to ask you to give her a very, very warm LSE welcome.
2: Ladies and gentlemen. So I have also to confess that I'm not only very (laughs) pleased, but also very honoured to be here in London today. today. And I'm grateful for the invitation to speak to you here at the London School of Economics and Political Sciences. Um, In uh, recent years, uh, there has been considerable international interest in the Finnish innovation and education system, uh, also called Finnish model. Uh, and uh, I would now like to outline some of our experiences on how the welfare state can work in globalizing world. I heard that there are also some students from Finland here and so, of course, they are giving examples which kind of the people are coming out from our society but then we can come back later on. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's start from the beginning. Finland is a small nation in the far north of Europe. Today, today we are rich in international comparison, but it was not always so. Finland used to be, seriously said, uh, one of the remotest and poorest countries in Europe. Having a foundation built on democracy, good governance, the welfare state, and investment in education has made it possible for us to become one of the most competitive countries in the world so far. So foreign trade has formed long played an important role for us. Joining the European Union and globalisation have meant positive developments for our country. So um, perhaps I could confess that Finland is nowadays among the countries that have benefited from globalisation. Welfare and competitiveness are not mutually exclusive. I firmly believe in the so-called Nordic welfare state model. It combines the dynamism of the market economy with a strong sense of responsibility and social well-being. People value the possibility to get quality services, such as education, healthcare, care, and social services, including children's daycare system and services for elderly. And uh, believe me or not, for maintaining them, people are willing to pay taxes. We have a lot of researches on that. Uh, of course, good governance and lack of corruption in Finland keep up, uh, of course, also <laughs> the positive attitude towards tax- taxation. The Finland's economy has uh, made uh, exceptional good progress since the severe recession we faced in the early 1990s. Those were not easy times, and uh, we had to make difficult decisions to come out from the situation. For years now, our economic performance has been strong, and the economic growth is estimated to continue at a fast pace. Since the start of uh, this new millennium, our annual growth has exceeded the EU average. This year, the number of people in employment will most likely already exceed 70% of the working age population. The number of unemployed persons is decreasing and the unemployment rate is expected to drop to 6.7%. According to the economic forecasts, as much as we can believe them, the positive trend will continue in 2008. So, so sunny so far. Uh, But like many other countries, we have had to face the fact that many jobs in different industrial sectors have moved abroad, to China, to India. You mentioned the others, for example. Major job losses resulting from the closure of the industrial sites have severe consequences for the people and families living in the regions concerned. Negative effects can affect whole towns and villages. Our system is based on the principle that we trust help people to survive over the bad times and to help them find new jobs. At present, we enjoy a favorable economic situation, as I told, and new jobs are emerging, which makes it easier for people to find new opportunities. As an open economy and a country that is dependent on exports, we are affected by developments in the global markets. I have used, uh, sometimes speaking to the students, uh, the story. I say that you know that a single skillful surfer can manage well even in the rough sea, but alone can do very little, uh, not only to calm down big waves and turbulent waters, but I would say that it's not nice to be too long time alone. So we decided to join the fleet, the European Union. Finland's decision to join the European Union in 1995 was a logical step in a long process. The decision was both political and economic. We wanted to be a full member in a group of countries with which we share the same values and objectives. Gaining access to the single market gave naturally our businesses new important opportunities And the EU membership has had a positive impact on our economic development. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we we are only 5 million. 5 million quality people, but anyway, 5 million. (laughs) And uh, Finland is then a country with, uh, plus that, uh, we we have a country with relatively few natural resources. Um, If you don't count that, it's very cold cold weather. Uh, We can never then uh, compete with quantity, only with quality. In order to be successful, you have to know your own strengths. Uh, The the third point I would like to tell to you about Finland is that uh, when it's only 5 million and it's um, a rather large country, so, Finland is also a sparsely populated country. And what then happens? Then happens, therefore, that technologies are needed for communication and for contacting each other. For many decades, the Finns have been the first suppliers of new technologies. Going back to 1882, for instance, the Finnish weaving mill was the very first place in the Northern Europe to install the electric light. And only six years after Mr. Bell patented his invention, the major cities in Finland had functioning telephone companies. In the early 1920s, Finland had both a national airline and a broadcasting company in operation. And later, Finland became a forerunner in the use of the mobile phone and um, the internet. In the area of the new technologies, our businesses have succeeded well despite the hard international competition. Uh, And this is not an advertisement, but you might have heard the name Nokia, for instance. (laughs) Uh, One of the crucial factors behind the Finnish so-called success story is that education, science, and research have traditionally been widely appreciated in the society. Therefore, they have become Political priorities. Our education system is based on the principle of providing learning opportunities for everyone, regardless of uh, where they live or their gender, financial standing, cultural background, or even native language. Our constitution states that everyone has the right to basic education free of charge. Then the result. For example, The OECD PISA survey, both in 2000 and 2003, put Finland at the top in terms of learning skills among 15-year-olds for mathematics, science, and reading. Other high performers uh, uh, included Asian countries, such as Japan and Korea. Um, It is good results together with a very low variation between different schools and among students, which makes our system unique. But then learning. Lifelong learning has become and has been given special importance in Finland because without well-trained people, the Finnish economy cannot be competitive. Without well-trained people, our services, service sectors, Public or private cannot provide high-quality services. Education and training boost the capacity also for self-determination and for people to make their own choices in life. Also, they give people opportunities to use their expertise and their talents in the best possible way to benefit themselves, their families, and, yes, of course, society as a whole. In working life, good education and training has traditionally provided a quite solid insurance policy against unemployment and a factor in getting better pay, too. We need to encourage and support all sorts of creativity, from the arts to technologies, in order to exploit the real benefits of research, we need to be farsighted and to invest in a sustainable manner equally in education, science, science and, of course, technological development. So, what then tell us again the international comparisons? Finland is close to the top in many international rankings concerning research and development expenditure. Uh, but not without hard work. Our spending on research and development relative to GDP is one of the highest in the world, about 3.4%, which is already above the EU target and well above the present EU average. Um, It is interesting to note if you thought that the rich countries can do that. So it's interesting to note that in Finland at the time of the deep recession in the 1990s, public investment in research and development actually increased. Then how is it in UK? The UK figure, according to my information, is about 1.8%. For us and uh, for the whole union, there are important references in this respect elsewhere in the world. The USA, of course, but also emerging economies such as China, India, Brazil. Uh, Finland and our business community have good relations with these countries, and I myself have also visited China and India uh, this year, and the president of Brazil visited Finland just recently. These countries clearly have a rising interest in the area of research and development, and they want to have a cooperation. For example, China plans to increase spending on research and development to bring To 2.5% relative to GDP by 2020. It's interesting to see how these two competitions with the European Union and, and China will go. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm interested also very much in Europe, what we can do. Because globalization affects Europe, and in turn, Europe and Europeans can and must influence globalization. The union's potential for succeeding in international competition is very good. Our societies are based on democracy, respect for human rights, and the rule of law. In international competition, the fact that the union forms a large internal market, you could call it a home market if you like, uh, is an advantage to all of us, provided that all member states comply fully with the commonly agreed provisions. We already have a program which is excellent uh, that includes our shared objectives for a common direction. So we don't need to invent the wheel. We have this or we had it. It's a Lisbon strategy. The union has not, however, developed according to the ambitious goals entered in the original Lisbon strategy in 2000. As you can hear my nostalgic voice, Nevertheless, I consider that the Lisbon Strategy can provide a program to respond to the challenges of globalization as long as that we are successful in creating links between economic growth, employment, social cohesion, and it has to be environmental sustainability. It is important to note here that uh, there is no single social model in Europe, but it is very important that we have the same view on basic principles. I would like to take up um, a couple more points about competitiveness and social fairness, and uh, you might already guess what I would take. The first one is uh, gender equality. The second one is the aging population. So the reconciliation of the work and family life is uh, easier in Finland than in many other Countries. Thanks to our system of family leave, our daycare system, and the free school meals, uh, so both women and men can play an active role in working life, and usually both women and men work full time, unlike in many other countries. Gender equality, the welfare society, and economic prosperity are closely connected. I firmly believe that the full participation of women in society is not only right in terms of equality, but uh, it also improves competitiveness. A recent study of the Finnish Business and Policy Forum shows that the Finnish corporations with a female CEO or with more women than men on the the corporation board are more profitable than the others. Uh, The study is called Women to the Top, There are some Finnish CEOs here they they might say that I speak through. The aging population then, then the second challenge. The aging population and workforce is a particular challenge for Finland, uh, but it will be also for many other countries too, a little bit later on in the future. Finland has been commended, for example, in recently published Moody's report, for our policy approach in addressing this challenge. Influencing attitudes in society, I would mention it only briefly, is also very, very important. Um, It is obvious that skills acquired decades ago are, in many cases, in the most of the cases, inadequate in today's working life. On the other hand, we should see that aging employees with their experience, so-called silent uh, knowledge, can be of invaluable help to their younger colleagues. In um, society at, uh, and at the workplace, there should be greater appreciation for age and experience. I firmly believe that when people are given the chance of lifelong learning and better skills, they will be ready to take this opportunity. We are just in the beginning of this training, but uh, I think that uh, we can be very optimistic about that already now. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted that the debate on globalization has in recent years turned from confrontation to dialogue. There is an improved understanding about the benefits and deficits of globalization and that the real issue is to make globalization fairer. Uh, You already mentioned that uh, I had a very good uh, university for myself in a way because I have had an opportunity to be uh, a co-chair in this ILO's World Commission Uh, because one of the efforts at making globalization fairer was the World Commission on Social Dimension and Globalization which was established really by the International Labour Organization in 2002. And when I had the honor to co-chair it, this with the Benjamin Macarpe of Tanzania you might know him very well. Um, this commission uh, uh, was called originally not like-minded people's commission because we took these people uh, practically from the different sides of the barricades. They were those who were very active in Porto Alegre and those who were the frequent visitors of the Davos. And uh, then they were side by side in the commission. And it was a very, very interesting procedure. And uh, despite our diverse views in the beginning and partly also later on, we were able to publish a unanimous report in 2004 called A Fair Globalization Creating Opportunities for All. Uh, The recommendations of the World Commission have been adopted as a part of the globalization work within the United Nations and and many other organizations, too. Um, But a lot of work is still needed for better implementation of the recommendations, and um, then uh, that's why I will speak some lines also from that. Uh, As a matter of fact, two weeks ago, I had uh, the opportunity to address the WTO public forum in Geneva, And uh, we had a very good uh, dialogue also there in these issues. So let's take one of the items. The first one is coherence. Unfortunately, the lack of the coherence at the national level is multiplied at the international level. Representatives of one nation can have very different views on the same issue depending on the organization by which the issue is dealt with. I can tell it from my own experience seeing my my colleagues. Um, And to aggravate the situation further, coherence, cooperation, and information sharing between international organizations leaves much to hope for. In order to make globalization work better for the people, uh, there has to be better policy coherence and both both at the national and uh, at the international level. But... uh, Let's say it very, very openly. The road to the fair and better globalization starts at home. Secondly, employment and decent work. Globalization has to be a force to promote employment everywhere. Employment is a key issue for personal and national development, and free trade should promote both economic growth and employment. Participation in international trade, has been a key to financial success. Our position is that the Doha Round must be concluded soon and concluded as a fair agreement, an agreement that takes into account the huge variety of the member states in the WTO, um, and, of course, especially the developing nations. In order to achieve this goal, everybody must make concessions. There has to be give and take by all. Thirdly, cross-border movement of people. This is a worldwide phenomenon and no newcomer to the international arena. We need to have a better framework for cross-border movement of people in order to make it truly positive for, for people themselves, but also for the countries of origin and destination. Receiving countries must bear in mind, my country included, that we are talking about people here, not only workforce. We must recognize that incoming people and their families are entitled to full life with rights and obligations of the society. And as I said, we in Finland have still a lot of work to do in this respect. The work for further globalization has provided a good preschool for addressing the wider challenges of mankind, and I mean sustainable development. Well being for mankind is not enough. It has to go hand in hand with the well being of nature. Sustainable development on a global scale can become a reality if we truly take care of people and if we have a strong environmental awareness. So I think you might agree that all countries have the right to develop and to aim for growth and prosperity. At the same time, we must all recognize our joint responsibility in responding to global challenges. The commitment period of the Kyoto Protocol expires in 2012, and by 2009, we must achieve a consensus on how to proceed. The Bali meeting this December, so quite soon, will be a crucially important event for showing our commitment. The European Union has already adopted ambitious objectives for the climate action. The Union has stressed that increased cooperation on technology-related issues should become an essential part of the post-2012 uh, framework. Industrialized countries must continue to take uh, all possible steps to promote access to environmentally sound technologies for all countries. We have to show solidarity towards developing countries that are addressing climate change and at the same time strive to achieve other development goals such as poverty eradication and better health care. So that's all It's challenging, it's demanding, but it can mean also uh, good cooperation and why not also good business. Finland wants to be an active player in international issues. As a member state state of the European Union and as a member of the global community, we support multilateralism and uh, we have always thought that UN-centered multilateralism is not only the right, but it's also very much in our own national interest. In order to achieve comprehensive security in the world, we must promote not only security, but also development and human rights. The United Nations Millennium Declaration and the Millennium Development Goals continue to serve as our common breadth to create a better future for all of us. So I just read uh, the speech of your Prime Minister and how he felt the atmosphere of, of the Millennium, millennium uh, Summit, and I, I fully agree. I happened to, well, happen to be a co-chair, pers- uh, co-chair in this meeting together with the Namibia President, and, and I think that the feeling was very genuine that we want to make a better millennium, a be- better, better future than what it was the previous one. But uh, then it's uh, not only the feeling, it's acting. So, ladies and gentlemen, I have tried to tell to you, or answer, can the welfare state work in the globalizing world? My answer, as you have already guessed, is yes. And even more, it is the best response to globalization our experience has shown that the basic elements of the welfare society also provide key elements to succeed in international competition. We want to promote an open and dynamic market economy, but by securing free, basic and higher education, public health social security, social services, a certain kind of the community solidarity, it will be easier for people to adopt the change and to take their responsibility. So back to home, not only to Finland but all five Nordic countries or as I call them, five Nordic sisters uh, have succeeded very well in different international comparisons of competitiveness, environmental sustainability, technology and social conditions. Um, there are many differences between these countries like there are the differences between the sisters. Uh, but. Uh, they have the same family background, the same family approach, and this is uh, this uniting factor is the similar approach to the welfare state model. So um, I start. I, I started telling that Finland is a small country. So the small countries have also some benefits because small countries cannot have any illusions on their self-sufficiency. Um, And that can help the citizens become the real cosmopolitans. So knowledge is a key factor for economic growth and social development in every part of the world. And it is said that human and knowledge capital are the only assets that can grow without limit. For a small country like my own there is no other choice than take care of these assets, and I hope that you agree with me.
0: Well, thank you very much for that Uh, uh, wonderful account of how attractive Finland Finland is, (laughs) how important the EU is to the role of enhancing the concept of a fairer form of globalization. And I was very taken by your remarks on global governance and how one – some of the core questions one has to ask about a fairer globalization – as I was thinking of your uh, talk, two questions came to mind. One is, where does one apply for Finnish citizenship? The account was so attractive, <laughs> I thought, well, oh,
2: yeah. it's a sparsely yeah, populated country. Still today, but right,
0: yeah. very good. And, and the second more serious question I wanted to ask you was this. Uh, where is the politics going to come from for this fairer globalization? I mean... Clearly, in the last few years, since 9-11, one can see a sort of weakening of international law in certain areas. Certainly, multilateralism at the level of security has been dealt something of a blow. The wars in Iraq and Afghanistan have sort of weakened the fabric of, of global governance in certain respects. And the resource base for social initiatives at the level of global governance is always too thin. And the problem of embedding the environmental costs in business is still a problem a challenge that needs meeting. So the question I want to ask you to begin with really is, given your commitment to a fairer globalization, which many of us would share, where do you see the good work being done, the politics coming together to drive this and to make it bite a bit more deeply?
2: Yeah, uh, my answer is at all levels, of course, and everywhere, because uh, um, it's very clear that uh, the fair globalization, it starts at home. I mean that... uh, You cannot think the world where you have the fair globalization and undemocratic states. But uh, we don't need to wait until all the states are democratic in the sense what we think. Uh, Because I think that the commitment of the people is is the key issue. At local level, at the national level, uh, the regional level, but also at the international level. Everybody knows that war is not a good way for globalization. Uh, but how to make this uh, civil cooperation better. Um, This World Commission of Social Dimension and Globalization, we face the same problem, and and because we spent a couple of years, three years almost, uh, studying the same issue, we noticed that there is not an easy way for that because um, we need this cooperation at all levels. But what we also noticed is that uh, such kind of uh, thing like uh, United Nations and the whole family of the UN is, is extremely important. And while it's, it is so important, we should, really, we should really work very hard in order to make UN more effective. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of those who are And Yes, we would be happier if we could see that better UN, so I would be ready to pay more. So no, no, it's, 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 uh, it's a good start. If we would make a new organization now, it would be the same hard work. So we have already quite good UN, but we could make it better. This UN umbrella is very important because you mentioned already all the conflicts uh, and, and also then the development. Uh, but then we need also this coherence. Mm. Uh, so that, for instance, uh, we don't try to do everything in different organizations, but do this coherence to see how the cooperation and the, uh, the, the basic thinking comes together. Um, and I think that uh, that has been understood in the UN very well. For instance, if we think the, all these meetings of uh, their own financing like Monterey, but also the Johannesburg and the issue of the global compact. So that we see that, uh, um, for instance, the business community is very welcome uh, to work together with NGOs or with the governments. They all have their own uh, system. Uh, So the globalization has to be decent, good, Human for developing countries, of course, to get an access. But what I also underline, coming from the north by myself, is that we have to work also with such kind of the globalisation. But we think that those who want to have a fair society, fair globalisation, already in industrialised countries, that they can keep it too. So it's in it's between the years. It's between the ears. Uh, and uh, I think it's, uh, after all, uh, there are a lot of, lot of things what we can do at the national level also. Um, one thing what I will say, the coherence uh, politics, but also that do you know, do you know that who will represent your country, if you are coming, the student at least from the different countries, who will, re- representant, uh, who will be the representant, uh, representant of your country in the, the World Bank or in the IMF or in different places. Uh, we noticed very easily that uh, to make them visible helps also to start the dialogue and to understand. I, I don't mean that we should say that those are the guilty... But to start the dialogue, why you had made this kind of decision, in which way you think that it helps, and so on. And then comes this national coherence of the politics. And uh, then one, uh, why not I see some of the CEOs here. So uh, I will say that uh, could, uh, the issue of the international corporations, enterprises, was uh, once in the past we thought that uh, It's something very undemocratic and difficult for the fair globalization. But we can see it's also vice versa, (coughs) that if such kind of the big corporations, if they are committed to play with the fair rules, so they can be those who start this discussion in the different countries. You say, yes, if, but we all can do also working together that it happens so. Um, so I mean that in every sector of the society, you have to work, uh, not being naive, but neither being cynical.
0: The, pr- the President has made it clear that while she likes presidential addresses, she prefers dialogue. So, uh, uh, so I w- there are roaming microphones, and we would like to take questions. Uh, I see this. Uh, can, can I see where you are distributed, those who want to ask questions? Several. All right. gentlemen at the back to begin with, and then we'll have a mic down here, please.
3: Hi, my name is Tres Chovu and I'm a social science student. Um, last week the Financial Times published um, an article saying that the Peter Mendelssohn, the Commissioner for European Trade, said that threatened the countries from African countries, Pacific countries and uh, countries for the Caribbean to open up the services a little bit more, otherwise their international aid will be cut. But my question is on the international uh, fairness, knowing that this country uh, tend to come to the West to borrow money, which they have to pay back with interest. My question is, uh, would you keep an eye uh, to make sure that these policies are fair enough to help this country to become welfare, uh, welfare state countries one day?
0: Thank you.
2: So uh, the first thing what I said is is, uh, really concerning the the WTO because uh, um, even the European Union has tried to get a more multilateral approach also for the developing countries. For instance, if we take, uh, for instance, the Latin America and Caribbean Caribbean region, so we have tried to encourage that they could have also the regional cooperation and and their own answers to be more equal in that sense. Uh, But... um, Uh, Many issues are such kind that I would rather see them at the WTO in in a way to get a better framework. Um, I think that the Doha round, Doha round in in many ways could be helpful for the developing countries. It's it's not um, easy in all senses, uh, but neither is easy for the EU side, for instance, or for USA. Um, But I think that the Doha Round was also full of the the hopes for uh, getting a development round and not only the the trade round, and that's why I I, I really hope that we could go on with this. Um, I don't answer to the uh, specific issues or different uh, items, but I do agree that EU, for instance, has to have a coherent politics in trade and in development cooperation because now in many cases it seems to be so that we are helping in one hand and then we will have another other hand a trade which is not perhaps so coherent with these teams. But um, it would be a very interesting also to discuss further that which parts of, the, uh, of this uh, problem should be in development side and which could be in trade side. Uh, but, um, but really, I take it uh, back to EU in a way to say that uh, they should be coherent.
0: Question down here. Thank Perhaps you, you could <coughs> just say who you are when you ask a question okay. and then give a brief question. <laughs> right.
4: Polly Toynbee from The Guardian. Uh, you said that the Nordic welfare state model, particularly in Finland, depends on people's willingness to pay taxes we seem to be becoming, becoming increasingly tax-phobic. We've just had, been through a, uh, a spasm where the people, the parties have had to follow it, have really rejected the idea of inheritance taxes, for instance. What advice would you give to the government about how to persuade people that paying taxes is a very good thing?
1: <laughs>
4: and that <it laughs> We we are finally getting up to close to European levels in spending on health and education for the first time ever. People expect instantly to have your type of public services and they're not patient enough to wait for the public services to uh, to get good enough as it's taken you perhaps many decades. So people immediately say, well, we've paid the money and we haven't got the services immediately. What do we do about it?
2: Can I make it a little bit more painful for you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's already painful. When I was
2: I a was young student, I, I, I was here not only studying but also serving the beer. I remember that how envy <laughs> how we were concerning your system of welfare because um, you were in the way the model for us in, the, in time. But... Uh, but then answer how we come today. So uh, I think that uh, I already answered some of the questions. One is, of course, to tell very openly that uh, in which way we will create the services, and they have to be quality services. Uh, the second point is, of course, to have a transparency in governance. Um, we have been, I had a lot of all kinds of statistics, but then it was difficult to tell all of them. But anyway, according to the International comparison again—it's uh, this uh, transparency research. So they they say that we have been now. The Finland has been the last one in the list of the corruption, together now with Denmark and New Zealand. So when the people know that—that's uh, one part—and I think this is quite okay in UK. The second is how the how the system is effective, and we have some some um, articles also I think here in, in, in England who said that they, our services are not effective. And, and so we have made a lot of studies in that too. And it showed that uh, uh, in, in a certain way, yes, they are not yet e- effective enough, but in other way around, research, they were quite effective. So to see that country in the global system, globalization, um, is in one unit that the price uh, the workforce for instance cannot be very different in, in, in different sectors of the society and we have this problem now in, in Finland that those who are working in the service sector want to get more salaries, higher salaries and I think it's okay. Uh, but all that together to see that how much this is. Concerning the World Health Organization, for instance, they say that we spend less money in health than what what they do in USA uh, in percentages. And still the coverage of of our services is much better. Then just to show this, that uh, if you put money here, uh, so not everybody can get the services but if you put in a different way like also the enterprises do so you can say that if you got, went to, want to get a good coverage so it should be that in, that, in that way uh, but um, I have not any secret for that but I think that one of the reasons have been that we have uh, given these services for all population so we have not practically uh, private hospitals at all for instance, that if you want to get a service, you go to the normal uh, normal uh, public hospital. So uh, we have some but not too many. We have the private patients uh, in the, with the doctors and uh, you can get either the yeah. paid by, uh, by the insurance system or you can go directly to the health centre so people can choose. But in the matter of fact, everybody knows that they are exactly the same doctors in both sides. Uh, and uh, I mean practically, they can work also, they private, if, if they want. But, uh, so the people, you, you have to trust in their own choice, in a way. That, that I think is a good. But um, the taxation, you tell that so many percentage are going to education, this are going to the health service, this goes in this and that. We have also our favourite subjects, where always people say that we put too much money. But these are not the welfare services.
0: Thank you. Um, there are several people who want to ask questions. I'm going to take two more. They are e- extremely difficult questions, way. they are very difficult questions. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're addressing them. I'm going to take two questions from down here. Can I have the mic over here? Still over here. Um, two down here, and then we'll. Take two straight away from down here, one, one after each other and you next. You could, when you're finished, can you just pass the mic behind you? And then, and then afterwards we'll go, come on.
1: Um, Diane Perrins, Gender Institute. Um, you said that uh, glo- fair globalisation started at home. I just wondered to what extent uh, both the welfare state in, in Finland and the competitiveness of the firms depends to some extent on the global interconnections. Um, in specifically who supplies the services to elder care and child care and how does, say, a company such as Nokia uh, ensure that its corporate social responsibility practices are en- enacted on the ground? Thank you. Should we take one more word? you want to address uh, that? Yeah. No, I, I, I addressed
2: that. To, address that. Uh, no, no, I have to a little bit. Uh, could you could you repeat? Uh, it was quite a complicated question. Yes? Um, I'm
1: just in, uh, wondering how Finland ensures fair globalization. Uh, how does its companies ensure yeah. uh, that its competitiveness does not depend upon uh, supplies that are produced by oh, yeah. lower-paid labour in less developed okay, countries? Yeah. And how yeah. are its okay, own yeah. services not supplied by low-paid migrant workers? Yeah.
0: In, in short, to what extent is Finland's economic success dependent on the, as it were, lack of prosperity, potential lack of prosperity of others in the supply chain and so on? Hmm? Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm, do you want one, to pause for that? All right, no,
0: we're no, no, yeah, Let's I'm, take I'm, the question I'm, behind so we'll have a couple of issues on the table
3: Okay, President Halonen, I'm Dr. Nikita Souni from the Cyprus Embassy uh, I come from a small country like you do and I want to remind you that Kofi Annan in his uh, millennium uh, speech said that globalization really let people down because the parity between richer nations and poorer nations became bigger and that the riches did not really spread downward as they hoped they had done. Also, World Bank research has shown that um, education is really targeted towards the market, not towards the well-being of human people, i.e., we train people to do exams, they say, the World Bank, to train... to pass exams so that they become good laborers for the market and not to become wholly full uh, sort of uh, materialized individuals. So how do you think that in a globalized world where the bigger countries are less globalized than us, smaller ones, how can you see that there is any justice in big organizations like the United Nations for small countries like ours and developing countries like... Uh, the student spoke before how can you find justice in such uh, a United Nations and how can we make it better thank you
0: these are very difficult demanding questions oh, yeah. So, yeah.
2: yeah,
1: I would, uh, they're, they're I I would say me.
2: that there is not a short way to that uh, we have to be active work together uh, and uh, for instance uh, um, I remember it was much worse time in that sense that people say that United Nations is old fashioned and we don't need it and so on I mean, the, we, we have to start it at home and to say that what we are doing. For instance, um, we who are from the EU countries, we have to be committed to pay the 0.7 in the beginning in, in order to, to make this development uh, uh, basis uh, credible but then it doesn't help us it was a question it doesn't help only that if we in one hand, in one room we say that okay this is a development and then we have a trade which is not fair that's why we have to make uh, the steps forward in, in, uh, in different arenas uh, but I, I believe in education I do believe in education I have never heard about a country which, which investing in education would do the worse. Uh, I know that there is also the brain waste in that way, the brain growth, that uh, some countries, even the rich countries, don't, um, how could I say, I cannot say produce, but <laughs> anyway, it means that. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't educate doctors or nurses or whatever, enough for themselves. They are believing that somebody else will do that. And I have nothing against to the cross-border movement of the people if it's fair. As I said, it should be fair. But if it's in the way that more and more nurses or more and more doctors or more and more this and that will be produced by the others who are even poorer. So it's not fair. And it's, it's even less fair if we don't pay enough so that they can even send money back. But, uh, but uh, in that case, I think that uh, if we think now also the international arena, so, so the developing countries are no more without self-confidence. For instance, if we take the WTO round, so the group of about, I call it about 20 because it's sometimes 20 and sometimes 21, uh, they have made a quite um, effective uh, cooperation to each other. I have by myself, I have been working for, with UNCTAD in order to reform the UNCTAD group and we will have a next meeting in, in Ghana. Um, in spring, and, and, and I hope that we can find such kind of the training, training courses or training centers in UN, which can help also the developing countries to make their own strategies and, and to, to see how they want to, to do this, this uh, system. Because we cannot think that we are just so nice, because mm. we are not, that's one thing. But the second point is that people are grown up, the countries will be also grown up, And they have to decide by themselves. But I'm also very demanding. I think that all countries, both in South and the North, should be willing for for the cooperation. Because we have only this one planet. And it's not perhaps fair, but it's true that if we don't combat against the climate change, those who have suffered most and have got the least, they will suffer again. So it's not, not the issue that you say that, ah, you have done this and you have done that. By the way, Finland has never had not a single colony, but, uh, but still. <laughs> still, I mean, the, the, I understand the approach. And and so, so in that way, let's work together. It's not the short way, but I'm ready to work with you. Of course, Britain didn't have a single. But that one question, (laughs) uh, I don't know exactly well. Answer. I would say only that the consumers' movement in the north is now stronger. For instance, concerning the bananas, the fair trade bananas are now the the best best sold bananas. And what's even the better is that at the same time when the fair trade bananas are the most popular, also the big companies have changed their own politics. So it means also that it has a double influence, that uh, you can buy this or that in the future and you will get also the better results uh, if you want to buy bananas.
0: We, we have about 10 minutes left for questions. There are some people up at the top are clearly very eager to ask. Uh, a, there are three gentlemen. They are there. if you don't Yes. Uh, we'll just take one from over there and, uh, and then one from over there. Yes. Random. We don't know the quality of the questions, so it will be a random choice.
2: Uh, Madam President, I was wondering if I could have your thoughts on, for example, uh, in the U.S. and here in the U.K., you see a huge growth in uh, the top population of millionaires and billionaires as well. Um, average people um, still compare stagnant. So there's income inequality uh, as there was in the early 20s. And you were talking about CEOs
4: before. For example, in the U.S., some CEOs make up to 200 to 300 um, times the amount of money that a normal employee makes in their company. How does that compare to Finland, and what are your thoughts on it?
2: Uh, I will say very shortly, yes, we have had also the new rich ones in Finland, but not as much as in many other countries um, I'm also wondering the same fact that why always when we want to get an foreign investment in Finland, they say that we should have these and that benefits for these people, and, and people think that uh, if we are also with me myself that uh, not somewhat money, so that they think that giving more money for them we encourage them to come and work together. But if it's a concerning the poor people, you always say that. Do you think that our social allowances are uh, too high that it, it doesn't encourage them to work further? <laughs> so, so I mean that we have a different kind of approaches in social politics in, 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 in our countries, uh, depending on the fact whether we consider to be a member of that group or not. And that's why it's very important that social welfare is built on universal benefits. So that also the rich man or the woman can get a daycare place for his or her child in the normal daycare place and to make it as good that he or she wants it also. Because otherwise you will make the system such kind that it's for those and for us. And with the taxation you can, you can make, uh, make uh, this, uh, this uh, more equal so that those who are richer pay more. But um, I see the tendency, but I would say that uh, it's not that strong in Finland. But we can see the same trend that we think that those, what we are concerned, to be the stars of the globalisation, that they have more and more benefits and higher salaries, because it doesn't mean so much in enterprise uh, budget or in, in, in the in the budget
1: of the, of the state but uh, I'm against it.
0: that I a brief question okay um, I had a question about European integration and about how optimistic you are about the future of Europe because as you've mentioned quite a couple of times in your speech mm-hmm. the European Union is absolutely vital both to protect workers and normal people also to encourage business and I was wondering with the rising tide of of, of certain kind of new protectionism inside Europe, rejection of the European constitution, um, where do you get your optimism from and secondly, uh, what possibilities do you see for European cooperation in terms of social matters and dealing with certain of the issues that have been raised over the last couple of years?
2: It's it's based on the history. The Finland has has never had an opportunity to choose between the good and bad. We have always been choosing between the bad and worse. (laughs) That's why we are very pragmatic. Uh, We see that the European Union is not a perfect animal, but we know also that without that, both uh, at the European level, but also in a global level, the situation would be worse. And who could be the union better? We, of course, who are already in there. And I'm pretty optimistic in a way. I think that uh, um, if you compare this kind of uh, system with uh, other regions of the world, uh, so uh, we are quite good in in, in that way, that we are the first one to try this. Of course, we have made mistakes, but I do hope so that we don't lose our faith. I'm crossing my fingers for Portugal now that uh, we could get the reform treaty and uh, go now business with, with, uh, with substance because we have now worked very long time with these rules in order to make it, it more clear, more coherent in a way. And I think it would be good for EU, it would be good for UK, it could be good for Finland, it could be good for, for this global, global system. Um, I don't know my optimism. I, I have worked since I was... Uh, a little bit more than 20. I'm, I'm now 63. I have worked with all kind of NGOs and I think that not always perfect, but better than without. And it's the same with politicians. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: one last question. Yes, and sure. uh, Sweet. Yeah, Mrs. President, I'm a student from Germany and I would like to know, uh, referring to the social reforms the, the German government is going, uh, doing nowadays, um, whether social reforms always must be accompanied by cutting a social benefit, for example, uh, unemployment relief. And in secondary, I would like to know um, whether this way could become a big problem f- uh, for the social democrats in Europe.
2: Yeah, I think that social democrats have a big problem in many countries. Uh, being uh, a social democrat in the past, before I was... Uh, before I was a president the president is without a membership in political party but I still feel it um, the ideology very sympathetic thinking that uh, the market economy it uh, contains a certain type of the dynamism um, it's a creative sector but uh, not without limits I think then that uh, the possibility for the human beings should be the same for, for everyone uh, in, in a way, when you are a child, especially, my husband always was a professor in social law. He always says that when the first human right, which is according to his anecdotes, is to choose your own parents, when we cannot fulfill it. So we all together have to help all t- children to become more equal in the way that they get at least the health services. They will get also the education. They will get also a safe environments and that's our duty as adults. Uh, When you say that, when it's always the question of the money, so I think that uh, the welfare system is very much based on services, but money is also needed in in the modern society. So Let's not underestimate the the freedom and the the will of the people to use the money. But I mean, not only money, but also to guarantee the, the services Um, what I think is a risk for everyone not only for for Germans or the Finns or many others is to think that yes this system is good but could I get a little bit more just for myself Uh, and this is this egoistic uh, point of view what comes also in the global discussions concerning for instance the the sustainable development everybody is ready to save the planet but everybody would like to save a little bit more for himself Uh, And and, uh, I mean it practically, so I I do hope so that in in Bali we could be pragmatic, realistic, and fair in a way to to see that uh, this is the only opportunity. It's not so interesting later on in the future whether you get one pound or euro more, but how we build this uh, consensus.
0: Well, there's a call for pragmatism, realism, and fairness, and uh, a noble noble cause. I'm afraid we've run out of time, but it remains to me to do three things. Firstly, an item of business, to ask the audience to stay seated whilst the president leaves at the end of this evening's uh, 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 debate and discussion. Secondly, Sahar Davies has asked me to mark this occasion by presenting you with a Impressive certificate, <laughs> which, which let me read. It, it, it is that the school wishes to acknowledge your leadership of Finland and wants to record its gratitude for your visit. So yeah. I've been asked to present this certificate to you, and uh, on behalf of the school.
1: And
2: uh, when, as I said, that I'm for the very transparent society and, and the country which is free from corruption. So we will give the present for you and I hope that you will open it.